0: Life is complex. Join us for the simple gifts of wisdom, love, and delight in the written word. Winston Churchill, December 26, 1941, addressing a joint session of the U.S. Congress. Part 1. Members of the Senate and of the House of Representatives of the United States, I feel greatly honored that you should have thus invited me to enter the United States Senate Chamber and address the representatives of both branches of Congress. The fact that my American forebears have for so many generations played their part in the life of the United States, and that here I am, an Englishman, welcomed in your midst, makes this experience one of the most moving and thrilling of my life, which is already long and has not been entirely uneventful. I wish, indeed, that my mother, whose memory I cherish across the veil of years, could have been here to see. By the way, I cannot help reflecting that if my father had been American and my mother British instead of the other way around, I might have got here on my own, In that case, this would not have been the first time you would have heard my voice. In that case, I should not have needed any invitation, but if I had, it is hardly likely that it would have been unanimous. So perhaps things are better as they are. I may confess, however, that I do not feel quite like a fish out of water in a legislative assembly where English is spoken. I am a child of the House of Commons, I was brought up in my father's house to believe in democracy. Trust the people. That was his message. I used to see him cheered at meetings and in the streets by crowds of working men, way back in those aristocratic Victorian days when, as Disraeli said, the world was for the few, and for the very few. Therefore I have been in full harmony all my life with the tides which have flowed on both sides of the Atlantic, against privilege and monopoly, and I have steered confidently towards the Gettysburg ideal of government of the people, by the people, for the people. I owe my advancement entirely to the House of Commons, whose servant I am. In my country, as in yours, public men are proud to be the servants of the state and would be ashamed to be its masters. The House of Commons If they thought the people wanted it, could, by a simple vote, remove me from my office. But I am not worrying about it at all. As a matter of fact, I am sure they will approve very highly of my journey here, for which I obtained the King's permission, in order to meet the President of the United States and to arrange with him for all that mapping out of our military plans— and for all those intimate meetings of the high officers of the armed services in both countries which are indispensable for the successful prosecution of the war. I should like to say, first of all, how much I have been impressed and encouraged by the breadth of view and sense of proportion which I have found in all quarters over here to which I have had access. Anyone who did not understand the size and solidarity of the foundations of the United States might easily have expected to find an excited, disturbed, self-centered atmosphere, with all minds fixed upon the novel, startling, and painful episodes of sudden war as they hit America. After all, the United States had been attacked and set upon by three most powerfully armed dictator states, the greatest military power in Europe, the greatest military power in Asia, Japan, Germany, Germany. And Italy have all declared and are making war upon you, and the quarrel is opened, which can only end in their overthrow or yours. But here in Washington, in these memorable days, I have found an Olympian fortitude which, far from being based upon complacency, is only the mask of an inflexible purpose and the proof of a sure, well-grounded confidence in the final outcome. We, in Britain, had the same feeling in our darkest days. We, too, were sure that, in the end, all would be well. You do not, I am certain, underrate the severity of the ordeal to which you and we have still to be subjected. The forces ranged against us are enormous. They are bitter. They are ruthless. The wicked men and their factions who have launched their peoples on the path of war and conquest know that they will be called to terrible account if they cannot beat down by force of arms the peoples they have assailed. They will stop at nothing. They have a vast accumulation of war weapons of all kinds. They have highly trained and disciplined armies, navies, and air services. They have plans and designs which have long been contrived and matured. They will stop at nothing that violence or treachery can suggest. It is quite true that on our side our resources in manpower and materials are far greater than theirs. But only a portion of your resources are as yet mobilized and developed. And we both of us have much to learn in the cruel art of war. We have therefore without doubt a time of tribulation before us. In this same time, some ground will be lost, which it will be hard and costly to regain. Many disappointments and unpleasant surprises await us. Many of them will afflict us before the full marshalling of our latent and total power can be accomplished. For the best part of twenty years, the youth of Britain and America have been taught that war was evil, which is true, and that it would never come again, which has been proved false. For the best part of twenty years, the youth of Germany, of Japan, and Italy have been taught that aggressive war is the noblest duty of the citizen, and that it should be begun as soon as the necessary weapons and organization have been made. We have performed the duties and tasks of peace. They have plotted and planned for war. This naturally has placed us in Britain and now places you in the United States at a disadvantage which only time, courage, and untiring exertion can correct. We have indeed to be thankful that so much time has been granted to us. If Germany had tried to invade the British Isles after the French collapse in June 1940, and if Japan had declared war on the British Empire and the United States at about the same date, No one can say what disasters and agonies might not have been our lot. But now, at the end of December 1941, our transformation from easy-going peace to total war efficiency has made very great progress. The broad flow of munitions in Great Britain has already begun. Immense strides have been made in the conversion of American industry to military purposes. And now that the United States is at war, it is possible for orders to be given every day, which in a year or eighteen months hence will produce results in war power beyond anything which has been seen or foreseen in the dictator states. Provided that every effort is made, that nothing is kept back, that the whole manpower, brain power, virility, "'valor and civic virtue of the English-speaking world, "'with all its galaxy of loyal, friendly, "'or associated communities and states. "'Provided that is bent unremittingly "'to the simple but supreme task, "'I think it would be reasonable to hope "'that the end of 1942 "'will see us quite definitely in a better position "'than we are now, "'and that the year 1943,' will enable us to assume the initiative upon an ample scale. Some people may be startled or momentarily depressed when, like your president, I speak of a long and a hard war. Our peoples would rather know the truth, somber though it be, and after all, when we are doing the noblest work in the world, not only defending our hearths and homes, but the cause of freedom in every land, THE QUESTION OF WHETHER DELIVERANCE COMES IN 1942 OR 1943 OR 1944 FALLS INTO ITS PROPER PLACE IN THE GRAND PROPORTIONS OF HUMAN HISTORY. SURE I AM THAT THIS DAY, NOW, WE ARE THE MASTERS OF OUR FATE, THAT THE TASK WHICH HAS BEEN SET US IS NOT ABOVE OUR STRENGTH. That its pangs and toils are not beyond our endurance. As long as we have faith in our cause and an unconquerable willpower, salvation will not be denied us. In the words of the psalmist, He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. Not all the tidings will be evil. On the contrary, Mighty strokes of war have already been dealt against the enemy. The glorious defense of their native soil by the Russian armies and people. Wounds have been inflicted upon the Nazi tyranny and system, which have bitten deep and will fester and inflame, not only in the Nazi body, but in the Nazi mind. The boastful Mussolini has crumpled already. He is now but a lackey and a serf the merest utensil of his master's will. He has inflicted great suffering and wrong upon his own industrious people. He has been stripped of all his African empire. Abyssinia has been liberated. Our armies of the East, which were so weak and ill-equipped at the moment of French desertion, now control all the regions from Tehran to Benghazi, and from Aleppo and Cyprus to the sources of the Nile. For many months we devoted ourselves to preparing to take the offensive in Libya. The very considerable battle, which has been proceeding there the last six weeks in the desert, has been most fiercely fought on both sides. Owing to the difficulties of supply upon the desert flank, we were never able to bring numerically equal forces to bear upon the enemy. Therefore, We had to rely upon superiority in the numbers and qualities of tanks and aircraft, British and American. For the first time, aided by these. For the first time, we have fought the enemy with equal weapons. For the first time, we have made the Hun feel the sharp edge of those tools with which he has enslaved Europe. The armed forces of the enemy in Cyrenaica, amounted to about 150,000 men, of whom a third were Germans. General Alkenlech set out to destroy totally that armed force, and I have every reason to believe that his aim will be fully accomplished. I am so glad to be able to place before you, members of the Senate and of the House of Representatives, at this moment when you are entering the war, the proof that with proper weapons and proper organization— we are able to beat the life out of the savage Nazi. What Hitlerism is suffering in Libya is only a sample and a foretaste of what we have got to give him and his accomplices wherever this war should lead us in every quarter of the globe. Tis the gift to be simple. Tis the gift to be free. Tis the gift to come down where we ought to be